Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and fellow video essayist Tom Vanderlinden from the channel Like Stories of Old. We seek to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about the Indian film RRR directed by S.S. Rajamuli. Tom, what made you interested in discussing this movie? Well, I think it was actually one of the most requested movies for the podcast that we've had so far, which I yeah. thought was kind of surprising because it's very unusual for an Indian movie to cross over into the West like this. It's obviously very popular in India. Like it's one of the, at least from what I can gather, like it's one of the biggest cinematic events that's happened there in the last few years. Like you have the, one of the most popular directors working with some of the most popular actors. And, but obviously here in the West, like at least for me in the Netherlands, like I'm not familiar with any of those names. So to me, that didn't necessarily mean anything. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing for a lot of, other Europeans, Americans, they're kind of in the same boat. They don't necessarily have a connection with the stars or the director. And yet somehow it still struck a chord with an, such a wide audience. And that's obviously something that I find very fascinating to dive into. Just what makes a movie that exists in, the, in a pretty particular cultural space and that deals with a pretty specific history. How does that cross over into different audiences? And what can we learn from that, basically? And also just the movie on itself, like what are the themes that it dives into? What is its relation to its history, to maybe like the kind of the propaganda issue? Like it's obviously a very political movie in a sense. Like there's undeniable political content there that I can't dive into from a specific political angle because I'm not familiar with Indian politics, but it's still interesting from a purely storytelling perspective yeah. and how a movie can frame certain villains, certain heroes, certain conflicts and create a story that's worth uh, examining. Right. Yeah. This is a, a part of cinema that I haven't delved very deeply into yet Indian cinema, but it, it is not just this movie, but in general, I think it's one of the most requested for me to explore various aspects of Indian cinema or, or watch different Indian films. I constantly get requests for that. So I was interested in checking this one out because like you said, it's one of, I think it's on track to be like maybe the biggest Indian film ever. It would be yeah. the equivalent of the Avengers finale movie or something in terms of reception. And I'm going to go ahead and mention it because I'll probably reference it several times throughout this. But Patrick H. Willems on his channel has a really excellent video that kind of hmm. is, is co-written by someone from India and that fills in a lot of the context surrounding this movie. And in that video, he shows some like clips from screenings where people just go absolutely insane, throwing like confetti in the air. Like all oh, it, it looks kind of like an incredible experience. So they're they're massively popular. And it's always fascinating to me to kind of like explore what's big in another culture. Yeah. And yeah, just try to understand that that space. So we're gonna get into it. We're both coming at it obviously from a very Western lens and don't understand some of the nuance, but we're gonna do our best to mm -hmm. kind of discuss this anyway. So maybe we should give a little bit of an introduction of like what the story is about. Yeah. And then get into some of the other elements. 
And maybe also you mentioned the Patrick Willems video. I think the just the gist of it is that why it's so popular in India is because yes. it has one of the most renowned directors working today, teaming up with two of the most popular actors who apparently had have never before like worked together. So it worked together, yeah. It it feels like a kind of an even extremer version of maybe Al Pacino and Robert De Niro doing heat together like this. Right, yeah. <laughs> two of these forces of nature kind of finally clashing yeah. together in this movie that had a lot of buildup because it was obviously delayed like so many other movies with COVID. So there's a, a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype, and it, apparently it delivered. So a lot of people were, yeah. they were genuinely like amazed by how well the movie turned out. It wasn't just because, of course, you can have two big name actors, you can have a director that's very popular, but that doesn't mean the final product is also lives up to that potential. But apparently here it absolutely did. And so that I think is the gist of what made that movie so popular in India. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't delved into this world, this isn't a Bollywood film. Technically, it's something that would be called a Tollywood film. It's uh, Telugu, I think, is the language. There's a bunch of different film industries in India because there's a bunch of different languages. But it has some of the elements that you might expect from like a Bollywood film. There's singing. There's mm -hmm. really crazy over-the-top action. There's some dancing. If you're coming into this yeah. experience without a familiarity of kind of the language or the form or the approach to filmmaking here, it's kind of a wild experience yeah. because the approach to telling this kind of story is very different than like what we expect from an American or European sensibility. And I found that to be like really fun. It's kind of the comparison I kept making in my mind was to like the MCU, because in a sense, it's very much about these like big characters. The story is essentially about British colonial India. So the colonial British are like the bad guys. And the setup is that there is a young girl from a tribe who is taken kind of like stolen from the tribe from her mother taken basically into like slavery or captivity by the wife of the British governor of colonial India. So that's mm -hmm. one portion. And then it sets up two characters, Beam, who is the member of the tribe, and he's searching for the girl that has been taken. Yes. And then you have Ram, who is a police officer for the British. And both of these guys are set up as just like, basically like kind of superhuman characters. Ram is introduced because he's just like basically fights single-handedly an entire group of like 200 mm -hmm. dudes. They're like rebelling, revolting Indians, and he fights them off on behalf of the British. So yeah. he's kind of in order to arrest this one guy. So he's kind of set up as like this villain mm -hmm. with like superhuman ability. And then Beam is introduced like capturing a live tiger and like fighting off <laughs> like wolves and things like that. So that's the initial setup. And mm -hmm. this is getting a little bit into spoiler territory, but this is still like all the, the first like this 40 is before minutes the, of before you see the title on screen. Yes, <laughs> the, of a, like a three hour movie to get to the crux of the conflict. Basically, both of these guys, Ram, the British police officer, ends up being tasked with finding Beam. The British know that someone is looking for the young girl, but they don't know their name. They just know that like there's a legend that somebody is going to come and like find her and take her back. So they task Ram with finding this guy and stopping him. Mm -hmm. If he's able to accomplish that, he'll get 
promoted to the role of special officer and beam is looking for this girl and by like coincidence or chance a turn of fate as they yes. sing it <laughs> <laughs> and an unforeseen turn of fate i think it was yeah by an unforeseen turn of fate they meet up and team up together while they're saving a young boy from like a train that is exploding as yeah. it's crossing a yeah, bridge. Yeah, there's some kind of accident and they both happen to be in the neighborhood and they both move in to help the young boy. And in that action sequence, they become the best of friends. And <laughs> that's how the story is, begins, actually. Yes. Like we have these two people, they are kind of enemies, but they don't know it of each other and they become the best buddies. And obviously that's a recipe for a good dramatic story, Yeah, if I'd say so. So yeah, that's that's the setup, and mm -hmm. from there you ha you still have another two hours to unfold yeah. after that. But it's kind of like all of that happens in a very like almost operatic style, like when they meet up and like join forces. Like mm -hmm. you said, Tom, it was an unexpected turn of fate. We use that line because like it's literally there's a song about how like what's going to happen when they find out that you know they're working on opposite sides and yeah. how surprising it is. Maybe before we get into discussing like those themes and like the other aspects of it, I'm curious just like how you felt about the movie. Did you enjoy this story? Did you know, do you find it fun? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I do regret not having been able to see it in a cinema. Like I had to watch it yeah. alone at home. I think it's on Netflix now. But yeah, it does feel like the kind of movie that you have a lot of fun with at the theater and if you bring all your friends and as you've said like there's people cheering and that sort of stuff i think by the way that the whole bigness of this movie like or maybe these indian movies in general with the singing and the dancing also explains why there is such a almost like a cult of fandom for these actors but because they have to yeah. do so much more than like actors here in right. the west because they have to not only act they have to sing they have to dance they have to do stunts i think like they look at least like they're capable of doing some stunt work and there's a lot of stuff that they need to be capable of which i guess is something that contributes to why they have such stardom but yeah that was kind of a side note but yeah anyways i'm actually somewhat familiar with indian cinema i've checked out a variety of mostly Bollywood movies, I think, but also more general Indian cinema. It didn't always connect with me as strongly because I felt some of them were so cheesy and the songs, they were so corny. And a lot of Indian films are very long. So three hours, that's pretty much a standard runtime as far as I know. But I felt that in this one, it, it all felt more like it belonged there. Like none of the songs felt very out of place. Because there's only like, a, there's actually not that many songs. That's the big song when the, the title drops, which I guess it makes some sense. Like there's a clear introduction to the movie. Then there's the very big dance sequence at one of the parties from the British. Like the two main guys, they go into the party with some British sort of upper class people. And they kind of like challenge each other to dance, to a dance off. And then there's a big now pretty famous sequence that happens but it's integrated in the story and there's like storytelling going on it's not just we stop the story now and it's yeah just singing for the next two minutes and then at the end there's obviously the the big credit song which i guess is a nice after all such after such a bombastic movie that feels like the best way to end it like it's not just a cut to credits no it's another like 
big stage, huge cast of like dancers and even the director shows up in one of the scenes there and they just have another big one or like one last song and then the movie is over. I enjoyed this one immensely. I think the story was perfect for also for this kind of storytelling. Like it's kind of cheesy, but it it reminded me a little bit of like Sam and Frodo in The Lord of the Rings or something like that. Some, like a very sincere bromance, which maybe even like the Shawshank Redemption, something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of liked it. And I think that maybe one of the reasons it's doing so well also here is maybe for the similar reason that we talked about in our episode on Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Is that we've just been craving this kind of sincerity again, that we just want like a true genuine story and we don't need like all the franchise building or winking to the audience or meta jokes. We just want like two bros becoming <laughs> bros and doing bro things. <laughs> <laughs> The sincerity of it definitely struck me as well. Like the U.S. blockbuster cinema kind of reached the pinnacle of it with like Deadpool, where it was like, what's cool and fun, the way you be fun and lighthearted in a movie is to like not take yourself too seriously. And the way mm -hmm. you don't take things too seriously is by like hanging a hat on the fact that, yeah, you know, oh, blockbusters are kind of dumb and like it tips into irony and irony has really become the like selling point of a lot of blockbuster comedy. And this also doesn't take itself too seriously, but in a completely different way, it maintains a, definitely a sincerity about it. And it's dealing with some like heavy issues. There's some really intense like depictions of essentially this is a spoiler, but we find out that the one character's village was essentially like there was like a genocide, basically. And we see some of that in pretty graphic detail. So it's dealing with like heavy issues, but mm -hmm. it's doing so within this context of like fun and that sounds like a strong juxtaposition but like the broader yeah. film is like having fun with the storytelling it's a little bit like a soap opera to some extent yeah. where every emotion is heightened so like the sad moments they are really sad and there's like the there's piano playing there's dramatic zooms right. and slow motion and then again the action it's again really enhanced it's really heightened and then you can go from one of those sad scenes to another scene where they're on each other's back and they're wielding double rifles and they're escaping from some prison or something like that the closest corollary we would probably have in like american cinema anyway would be like musicals like like even the new west side story or something where you can have mm. you're dealing with a very serious subject matter you can even have like knife fights happening between gangs or whatever but then they're like dancing around and like leaping through the air and like doing these kind of it's contextualized in a different way. Yeah, it's clear that you're in like movie reality, not in real reality. Yeah. So it doesn't exactly pack the same punch, except for within the context of its own story. I wrote down some movies that we know that this reminded me of. And it's interesting to see, not to say that this movie is is a ripoff from any other film that we've right. made, but more it's interesting to see where there's kind of like these shared images and cultural connections. And I always like the way that looking at different cultures, the way we tell the same stories, like I'm always very interested in, for example, the way Akira Kurosawa's samurai films are basically the same as Westerns made in the US. They kind of go back and forth in the way they influence each other. And I thought it was interesting to look at like what 
kind of movies that we've made does this remind me of? And I wrote down Rambo. Obviously, like there's a, a lot of Michael Bayism, some Roland Emmerich, like Independence Day. There's with some big destruction scenes towards the end. I mentioned Top Gun Maverick, just with its sincerity and its kind of simplistic emotions, but like it makes the very simplistic emotions explicit in the sense that like there's now he is sad and then he clearly expresses it and then he's angry and then he's like punching up the room and putting his hands in his hair and it's very on the nose like what the characters are feeling and experiencing at any given moment, which is such a stark contrast if you compare it to like Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner, where every emotion is hidden behind some right. pensive look or like a clenching yeah. of the jaws. And <laughs> <laughs> there's also, this is another spoiler, but it kind of reminded me of the Northman a little bit with Raju's character, I think. Yeah, I thought that too. Towards the middle of the film or the second half, we learn through flashback that Raju, the British officer, or at least the Indian officer who is working for the British army actually went in as a sort of undercover to steal weapons that he could then bring back to his own people so they could start a revolution but then it kind of feels like he's at the beginning of the movie like he has forgotten his true purpose a little bit and he's become this kind of like this berserker like the way you see in the northman but yeah was there anything in particular that this movie reminds you of i thought about the northman as well particularly in its commitment to like mythos within within itself oh, where yeah. like it's not just like hey this character shows up and he has some ability it's like the character shows up big and there's like in the northman you have like you know ravens coming in around the person or like volcanoes there's this sense of like almost a metaphysical element to like what's happening and that's definitely very present in this film i think that's something that is talked about a little bit in the Patrick Williams video where like there's even some like explicit kind of Hindu like symbolism in the film. I didn't pick up on any of that. Yeah, it's towards the very end where they Raju is captured and then he is saved by Beam and then they together they escape into the forest and they kind of set up for the final climax and then suddenly Raju takes on this different outfit. He has this whole new appearance which kind of felt like a sort of Avengers moment where some hero is finally revealed in his true yeah. comic book accurate costume or something like that. I'm not, I don't think that's the case here, but it felt like one of those moments. It is true that, as you said, they are very much like these larger than life heroes and yeah. it's not explained within the story. That's just the way things are like, yeah, it's set up right at the opening scene, but as you said, the, the single guy fighting 200 men and the other guy fighting a tiger it's just all very over the top and unapologetic about it which i thought was kind of fun but yeah this episode was brought to you by mubi the curated streaming service showing hand-picked exceptional films from around the globe which both thomas and i have been big fans of for many years they have a fantastic library of amazing films and they add a new one every day whether it's a timeless classic a cult favorite or an acclaimed masterpiece there's always something new to discover. And if you want to listen to more in-depth discussions about cinema, Mubi's acclaimed audio documentary series, The Mubi Podcast, returns this summer for its second season. This time it's going to focus on movie theaters themselves. 
It's titled Only in Theaters, and the new season will tell surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history and, in some cases, history in general. You can listen to the latest season of the movie podcast absolutely free wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to try movie itself, you can do so for free for 30 days by going to movie.com slash cinema of meaning. That's movie, M-U-B-I dot com slash cinema of meaning for 30 days of great cinema for free. Click the link in the description or go to movie.com slash cinema of meaning for your extended 30 day free trial. I think I would be more entertained sometimes by some of the MCU films if they took a little bit out of the playbook of this kind of filmmaking where like, Mm -hmm. you know, similarly in the MCU or other, this is something that like Zack Snyder has a little bit more of like a a grasp on. It's just like the size and immensity of just like, you know, I'll bring a character in in super slow motion and just have like lightning ripping across the sky or something. Mm -hmm. And you, you feel the like this like impossible metaphysical weight of the character it is over the top but you can buy into the over the topness and i i think like sometimes i want to see that kind of commitment of just like yeah let's really like if you're gonna believe that this character has a hammer that can just like smash through anything like let's really commit to just like feeling that that's the beauty i think of the experience of this movie is i mean you mentioned like michael bay and Some of those, and there's certainly like elements of similarity, but I think where this stood apart and I enjoyed this in ways that maybe I don't enjoy some of maybe the more American versions Mm -hmm. of that kind of over the top expression. And maybe it's in the simplicity that you were talking about, but there's almost like a clarity to how some of it is presented that I think gets lost in more maximalist like expressions. And so I like that, like the action is so over the top, but you never like are unsure of what's going on. Like it's always clear. It has these very simple story beats. Like it's always this guy is now good and I have to chase him or this guy is my friend and I have to save him. And now there's danger here and we have to face it. Like there's no real complexity to the plot in a good way, I think, because that's some of my issues with a lot of recent American blockbusters is that they, they've also become like pretty long. Like a lot of them, what used yeah. to be like a two hour action movie is now a two and a half hour action movie, even though the impact is even less sometimes like this, instead of like really committing to big action, they just make the story more convoluted and yeah, make you care less in a way to some extent here. Because I think also that one of the differences is that in a lot of recent Western movies like we have now, we see it in Marvel too, where they started to commit to having more complicated villains. And we need to understand like all the perspectives and we need to bring out and examine all these different complex philosophical conflicts. And in RRR, it's just, these are the bad guys and they are doing super bad guy stuff and they're like twirling their mustache as they do it and laughing and rubbing their hands and (laughs) there's a moral simplicity to it as well that makes a lot of those scenes a bit easier to digest or at least they don't engage your conscience as much as a way that some other films deliberately try to do at least here in the west i think because that's obviously like it's kind of what your intention is like a movie like the dark knight it wants you to 
think about the complexities of it all. Whereas right, this yeah. movie is just like, these are the heroes. Go along w- with their journey and have some fun. And I like that you mentioned Zack Snyder. I thought of him too, but I forgot to write him down. But it's basically Zack Snyder, but not so self-serious in the sense that it has these... I think Zack Snyder is also very good at creating these very impactful standalone moments. Like even if you watch like a lesser Zack Snyder movie, it will still have these very iconic shots within it. And this movie had that too. It had these very maximized singular images as well. And then they just strung them all together (laughs) to create this whole maximalist piece of media. And, And yeah, somehow it works, I think, because of that lack of self-seriousness it doesn't come with this dramatic downbeat vibe it just it's more uplifting and therefore i think it's easier to just roll with it and go along with your own enjoyment of it yeah and that's not to say that one is better than the other necessarily it's just i think what's the kind of story that you're going for or what is the kind of response that that you want to get from the audience do you want them to think about stuff do you just want to go along do you just want them to experience or like have some sort of emotional catharsis which i think this movie leans towards it's more melodramatic in that sense but i don't mean that as to like uh, to its detriment but in the same way that maybe like some james cameron movies are also melodramatic in the sense that they kind of connect you with the heroes like a movie like avatar as well is right it just wants to bring you along on this adventure it's not really like it's a pretty simple plot in terms of like where the ethical questions are but it's a deliberate choice also because it just doesn't want to engage with that beyond its own simplicity and that can be fine if your intention is something else like to bring an audience into this great new world or just have them go on an adventure or just have them celebrate heroes. Because that's the thing too, I'm not sure if we mentioned it, the two heroes are actual uh, revolutionaries who lived at some point in history in India, even though the story itself is fictional. Like from what I understand, like they are actual people and they were actually influential in the struggle for independence from the Great Britain, but there's no record of them having ever met in real life, let alone become best buddies and right, yeah, go on this kind of adventure. Let alone like fight off the British by unleashing like trucks full of wild animals into uh, like parties. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they are grounded in the names of real figures, which certainly like adds context to, I think, the way the whole thing is is perceived. I mean, I enjoyed this a lot more than most of what would come out of Zack Snyder. So I'm not making a judgment call about that, you know, objectively or universally. But like, I think for me, it's a lot easier to engage with something like this where it isn't asking me to take it extremely seriously. And it kind of lets me participate in it in a more, I don't know, it, it's such an interesting thing because you like when I describe it that way, you would think there would be like a wink involved of like, oh yeah, we know this is kind of ridiculous, but there's not really that wink, but yet you just become captured by the intensity of it i think which is fun and i would say like talking about sort of the simplicity of the themes it's exploring i love a certain like moral complexity to a film Mm -hmm. or movies that kind of push into these weird ambiguous areas and i love all that kind of stuff but i think at the end of the day often i'd rather see like a movie addressing like simpler themes more coherently 
and like doing it well rather than sometimes things like the Eternals or maybe mm -hmm. even like the latest Doctor Strange multiverse film where it's like you can tell they're trying to like get at some kind of deeper, more complex issue, but then not really fleshing it out enough to go anywhere. And I think like this movie benefits from the fact that it's like, yeah, here's the issues. There's these two best friends. They're going to come into conflict with one another. The most interesting question I think it asks is, I think Ram is the name of the actor. Right? Actor, Raju. Raju. Yeah. He's a double agent, as you mentioned. And then he's kind of confronted with like, he's been playing basically undercover for the British. And he's confronted with like, how much am I willing to pay to accomplish my goals? And he sees the example of Beam. Raju's goal the entire time has been to gain access to weapons so that he can distribute weapons to his village so that there can be a revolt. And he's kind of confronted with Beam, who ends up being almost kind of like a martyr type figure. He's caught. And then there's this crazy scene where the British governor like forces Raju to be the one who like flogs him publicly. And Beam like refuses to let his knees touch the ground and he sings yeah. this song and it becomes very inspiring. A very brave heart moment. Yeah. It inspires the people to revolt. And Raju is like so confronted by this image of like, oh, you know, maybe sticking so wholeheartedly to your values is more important than this like state of compromise that I'm entering into in order mm -hmm. to try to achieve this more like utilitarian end of like it's more like a means to the end kind of guy whereas right. beam is more straightforward in the sense that i have these values i'm doing this and just try and stop me yeah it's simple in the fact that like those themes are all very explicit like none of that is mm -hmm. like just hinted at under the surface they talk about it openly but it's not simple in the sense that like it is engaging with a fairly difficult question there that I think and doing it with in a way that feels mm -hmm. meaningful and not just like brushing it aside or like, you know, treating it uh, cartoonishly. So like, I didn't feel like it was philosophically vacant. Oh, no, definitely not. I think it's maybe the difference between like we tend to value movies for engaging with these unresolvable questions or bringing up ethical dilemmas that have no clear answers. Whereas I think a movie like this is more about more like obvious messages in some way, but those are important to articulate well sometimes, like to just these kind of simple platitudes almost, like the importance of friendship and the importance of conscience and integrity. And there are some simple truths, I th think, there to life that also need some kind of expression and I think we tend to overvalue the first over the latter, like this one, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's true because even though you have a simplistic truth is sometimes just as hard, if not harder to convey than a very complicated yeah, or yeah. open-ended one. And I like how this movie does, that's for me at least where it succeeds most immediately, at least for me, uh, as someone who doesn't know like the political context of the movie, that is just this straightforward tale of friendship and how they both find some kind of purpose also in each other's values. There's a nice bit of like very explicit stoic philosophy towards the end. After that moment that you just talked about, like Raju has his revelation and he changes sides again, or at least he returns to his original side and he 
chooses to save Beam and the little girl. But in that process, he has captured himself. And then the British, like a couple of months pass, and then the British visit him. And they're like, oh, he's hanging by his chains. He's not getting fed anything. He's probably starving by now. And then you, the cameras kind of moves into the into his prison cell and he's like doing pull-ups and he's stronger than ever. <laughs> and he says something like, yeah, you can always work for something without expecting yeah. a reward or the work is more important than the goal or something like that. And I think that's part of Beam's philosophy too, like the sort of message that he took away from him, like I'm going to stay committed no matter how hard it gets. And uh, then there's that funny little moment where he's thrown into an isolation cell in, in the ground and after getting his legs all beat up and then he's thrown into the yeah. cell and then he still reaches up to his to two of those prison bars and he starts doing pull-ups again. <laughs> That's the kind of almost simple motivation for life, just sheer willpower, sheer determination. and But they can be quite effective yeah. and I think very valuable when communicated correctly or effectively. And I think this movie did a great job at doing that. And does so in such a fun, enjoyable way. Like you mentioned, there's several moments where that tension where they're like going back and forth and they start finding out about each other and they're like unsure, like they learn at different times the truth about the other person. There's like several moments where Raju is like shooting an enemy and like the way it's staged where like Beam thinks that he's shooting at him or Molly, the girl that he's trying to save. But it turns out Raju is like saving their lives mm -hmm. by shooting this British officer. And it's set up with such like it's all like visual storytelling in the setup and like but mm -hmm. also ridiculous because it's like this bull. It's like a slow mo like bullet time shot of this bullet like looking like it's whizzing like right for mm -hmm. like Molly or something. But then it goes right through the gap and then like hits the British officer or something. But like that completely over the top like action visual effects sequence is like communicating this dramatic irony between the two characters of one thinks the other is out to get him and the other is just trying to save their life and those kinds of things like happen multiple times in a way that i found to be really fun and i i do love how it kind of like you know we've been talking about how a lot of the themes and ideas are really like out there or like up front and explicit there's that song when they become friends it's like when they find out the truth I, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like the lyrics basically say when they find out the truth about each other, you know, is it going to end in bloodshed? And so you kind of have this like, or at least I had this expectation of like, oh, this movie is building up towards the big showdown between these two guys and the twist of like Raju being a double agent. And there is kind of that moment where they have a showdown, but it's like momentary. The finale ends up being them like teaming up. And maybe like the context of what kind of movies these are and the, the stories. And like, if I understood that, I would have seen that coming a little bit more. But yeah. like that twist and that whole thing, like did kind of subvert the expectations that yeah. even I think the movie was setting up earlier on in a way that I found fun. It does that kind of Hitchcockian bomb under the table thing where you have, I think he Hitchcock once said like, when you have two people eating dinner and suddenly a bomb explodes beneath them, like that's shock value, but that's not tension. Like his philosophy was you first show them the bomb and then they sit down for dinner. And that's kind of what happens in the first half when you're introduced with these two opposing forces who are done becoming friends. Like then it kind of plants that bomb underneath them. But then there's the, obviously that bomb 
explodes towards the end of the first yeah. half. There's, a, there's an intermission of sorts, at least on Netflix, there was an intermission moment where they both learn who they really are. And then there's one confrontation between them where Beam gets captured. And then there's basically the intermission. The pacing of the movie slows down a little bit and we get the flashbacks from yeah. Raju's side. Like we get his backstory and that he's really not this ruthless agent, which in some way is like planting right. a second bomb under the rest of the story because now we have these two friends who are genuinely as we now learn like on the same side or at least they should be on the same side but now they are being forced to commit violence against each other almost against their will so that's i like the way it kind of plays around with that and it also keeps like the tension really high up until the very end because it, there is a moment where the movie could have ended in a more tragic way where beam escapes with molly yeah, his story is technically resolved, but then he learns about Raju's true identity from, I think, his wife, it was. Betrothed fiance, maybe I, one of the two. That's where the climax of the movie comes in, because that's the that's sort of the explosion of the second bomb. Like he learns, he first he learned about Raju being the officer, and then he learned about Raju being yeah. the revolutionary. And he kind of admires him because he's actually feeling selfish because he mentions like, I was just getting in for the girl, but he was doing all this yeah. for his country. That's again, what that's what leads to the climax then, of course, with them storming the castle. And that's maybe my only note of like small criticism that they end up taking the whole thing down with just the two of them. They don't really, it makes the whole other aspects of the building of the revolution feel a bit su superfluous because they right, they yeah. are like so heroic that together they, <laughs> they it doesn't seem like they need anyone else. Like they don't need an army <laughs> except for Their power the together is so, uh, is so strong. But I wasn't also sure that the ultimate bad guy, if he was like the just a local governor or yeah. if he was supposed to represent the regime as a whole because i think it was more the first one like they kind of set up now they've thrown over the first obstacle and now it's time for the full revolution to begin with both of them doing the work in their own way i do really like what you pointed out which is that they both learn lessons from each other and like their coming mm -hmm. together isn't just a superficial like recognition of who each other are and that they're actually on the same side, but also a like kind of meeting in the middle between their two philosophies of like being more like operating with an extreme commitment to his like values. And then Raju, you know, learning like, okay, I'm going to set aside my goal in order to like, you know, for this person now who I care about, they both take something from each other in that regard. That's something that's genuinely like pretty hard to pull off in a story like you don't see that kind of maneuver very often where it feels genuine like oh each of these characters like did get something from each other this is like a two header and it very much feels like it gave like significant weight to each of these characters it wasn't just like oh yeah there's this guy and then the side character or whatever so i thought that was pretty cool we haven't even talked about the whole romance subplot and where it kind of turns into Hitch, where Raju is helping Beam to get to court. <laughs> He's a Raju ends up being a great wingman. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's also a very telling moment again, where Raju is more calculating and he is more yes. maneuvering like strategically. And 
beam is just going straight from the heart and he's more vulnerable also in that sense he's just he's kind of like what you see is what you get whereas with Raju there's uh, like a bit of a mask sometimes even like almost literally with his like giant sunglasses but that's again that's another thing they learn from each other like beam sort of communicates that more open-heartedness towards Raju or at least that reminds him that okay there's like something genuine here that I've forgotten about and that maybe I yeah. should reconnect with within myself. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a nice little uh, subplot. There is a, a great romance subplot that culminates in the in the very epic dance-off scene. Beam has a kind of innocence that almost borders on like naivete sometimes. That's That's really funny. There's that scene where, I don't know if this was supposed to be like a character moment. I That's kind of what I took it as, but it may also have been like exposition i'm not sure but i think it was just supposed to illustrate how kind of like his sort of like innocence or like in his character where he escapes with molly they're hiding from the british officers that are like trolling the towns like searching for them and they come in and they're in this like house hiding with what ends up being shati was her character's name i think but the wife or fiance of raju Mm-hmm. is there unbeknownst to Beam and Molly and the British bust into this house and they're there and they're like going to try to escape at the back, but they can't. And then the fiance like comes running down and she's like, we have smallpox and the British are like, they freak out and like they leave and then like she saves the day. And then B comes over and is like, which one has smallpox? Like, and wants to help like the person who has smallpox. And she's just like, no, I, I lied to them <laughs> to make them go away. And he's like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just like, his concern immediately goes to like, oh no, somebody has smallpox. How can I help? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a huge likability to his somewhat like world. His worldview. In Dutch, we have a word that literally translates to world strange, like like you're a stranger oh, to the yes. world. Yeah, I don't know what, what an English equivalent of that would be. Naivete would probably be the closest thing we have. But that yeah. naivete has a very like negative connotation, I think, a lot of the times, which is not necessarily mm. the sense in which I mean it here. It's more of like a... Someone who lives in the forest, as it's kind of shown. I'm not sure if they literally live in the forest or just like this. To me, it felt like they lived in like a small tribal community, whereas Raju was more from a bigger city or a more distinct town or urbanized area. Yeah, that kind of leads us into some of the other interesting thing about this movie that I think is it's kind of harder for us to discuss because neither of us are super familiar with Indian politics. And so there's a lot of nuance and context that I think is is lost here. But this movie mm. hasn't been free yep. of criticism. And one element of that is that, like, from my understanding, like, there's a lot of Hindu symbolism or undertoned into the film that's linked to kind of like the more political message of the film. And that becomes more apparent, like, towards the end. I had heard some people describe the movie as like, Hindu nationalistic. And as I was watching it, I was kind of like, I don't really see how this is because it's like anti-colonial, but it it doesn't. It's just like these two guys trying to fight off the evil racist British colonizers. But then towards the yeah. end, it tips a little bit more like heavily into that. And there's like an, a closing credit sequence where they're like dancing and singing about a flag and like there's statues of 
and images of specific leaders like in the background and it takes on a more like political bent. So I don't understand the whole context surrounding this entirely enough to like comment on it super intelligently. But I know to me, like just watching it, it towards the very end, it tips into what feels like a almost propagandistic mm -hmm. like territory where like I've watched and read up on stuff like since watching it. But as I was watching, I didn't know any of the context about it. Besides hearing some people mention that like they thought it had some nationalistic tone. Yeah. But then like it gets to the very end and I'm like, it feels like it has a certain message or ideology that it's trying to like communicate towards the end. And so that like colored my impression of it a little bit. Like, again, I can't comment on like it within the political landscape because I don't know enough about it. But I think that's an interesting element also as well, where like it almost gave me Top Gun vibes where we just talked about the Top Gun. Yeah, I was thinking the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah, because yeah, to me, I think this movie did feel very propaganda-ish. Actually, the whole way through, like even in that early scene where they first become friends, like there's this, they are hanging from a bridge and they're kind of swinging and then one of them swings into the fire, but the other one hands him this Indian, I think it's an Indian flag or something, at least like he gets wrapped in some flag yeah. and that's is protection against the fire. So there's some visual language there about if you're really like reading into it, like the flag is literally protecting you from from harm. And it's obviously a very, even just politics, like explicit politics aside, it's just a very heroic right. story. Like it definitely emboldens some people at the expense of others. Now, in this case, I don't think it's the kind of propaganda that would be very harmful if it was like aimed at the then oppressors, like right, the British right. Empire. Like they are obviously the, the super duper villains in this but that's also an easy narrative to tap into. But I guess that's what we don't really know what it's like to have such a moment in your history where you were colonized by someone else. So maybe that's why Top Gun had to go with like the generic nameless right. enemy, whereas RR could draw on like an historic one that everyone would feel very unambiguous about as to their villainous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you see it in that context, you could say like it's kind of like propaganda, but it's also more like it's celebrating its liberation from former oppressors. It's celebrating its own independence and freedom. But obviously, that happened like not super long ago. But like it's it's been a while since I think the British left India. So you you might wonder like how does it fit into the current political landscape in which they've been independent for a while now and there's like multiple different parties that now have like new power dynamics between yeah. them like what does a historical narrative like this mean in the modern context even if it doesn't explicitly comment on the current situation like what does it mean for these heroes to be kind of worshipped again or like being emboldened or just being celebrated and empowered and all that kind of stuff. Like, what does that mean for today's political yeah. climate? Obviously, we can't really answer that, but I think that's always, that's the thing you want to question if you're in that situation and you see a movie like this, yeah. I think. It's always good to keep that in mind when watching something, especially that gets you very, like, pumped and excited. Like, how we view the past and the way we celebrate the past is often used as a tool to like comment on the present or like to kind of promote certain ideas about the future. Mm -hmm. Like what you 
highlight about the past and how you shape, you know, the, the story you tell is very relevant to like, you know, how we think about where we should be going and those kinds of things. So definitely always good to keep that in mind when you're dealing with like stories, just be aware of the way in which they can capture our minds and hearts and those kinds of things. That's not just like India with RRR. It's like everybody needs to be aware of that because it's true across mm -hmm. the board pretty much all the time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had pretty much this discussion with yeah, Top yeah. Gun, which I, I think now maybe you know, you understand better what watching Top Gun was right. like for me <laughs> because I'm like equally removed from America's yeah. militarism as I am from India's nationalism, yeah. I think. Maybe not equally, but I could enjoy like both of those movies, even knowing they were propaganda pieces for their respective countries without worrying too much about the implications because I don't live in either yeah. one of those. No, that's 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 a great point. I can definitely see how it's easier to feel a sense of remove. If I was like, yeah, <laughs> if I was dealing with the, you know, Hindu nationalists or, or something like that on a regular basis in my, you yeah. know, and living in India, I might feel differently or I, I don't know. I don't understand the situation well enough to make a comparison, yeah. even, but. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, as you said, like you can definitely use stories from the past to reframe certain relations yeah. today. We see it today in, in Dutch politics where we tend to reach back into the past, especially to the Second World War where we were occupied by the Germans. And then you have, it's, it can be so strange to see like opposite sides, both claiming to be like those who were victimized during the occupation, even though, right. and blaming the other one for being like the oppressors or like being the Nazis. A story from the past is never like, doesn't exist in a vacuum. It doesn't exist only in the past. It always has connections to what we're, to the stories we're telling today, to today's culture and politics. And yeah, they're just, they never really lose their relevance as long as we keep telling them basically. Yeah. I think that's that's probably a great uh, note to wrap up on, unless you have any other thoughts about RRR that we didn't get a chance to get to. Not really. Very cool. Thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoy this show, be sure to check out our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early. We also have exclusive bonus episodes that are only in the Nebula feed. And so far we've done an episode on Doctor Strange, 1917. We have one on 2001, A Space Odyssey that's out now or, or coming soon. We're doing a bonus episode every month. And the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for Curiosity Stream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. You can learn more about that by following the link in the description, but sign up for Nebula, check it out on there. You can find the whole podcast, all the bonus episodes, and our own channels, Thomas Flight and Like Stories of Old. We'll talk to you next week.